You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everybody. Today, we have got my buddy right here, Lloyd Lobo, who is the co-founder and president of Boast AI. And he is also one of the co-founders of the Amazing Traction Conference, which I've been going to for the last couple of years. Lloyd and I, I think we met online, then we met at conferences, and we just used to hang out all the time before COVID hit. But Lloyd, first and foremost, welcome. How's it going, man? Things are well. Can't complain. I feel blessed that I have my health. And I have the business and I have the family despite these times. So yeah, I, I can't complain and just be thankful. It's crazy. I mean, it's the thing is this, right? Like you've taken your conference online and it's, it's, you had a ton of uh, attendees. So everyone should def- definitely check, check out Traction. But the other thing that you've got going on here, just a quick introduction from my side, Boast, which is it, it's basically R&D tax credit software that helps companies in the US and Canada recover their R&D costs from the government. What else does it do besides that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you the story here. You know, each year, the U.S. and Canadian government give out billions of dollars in R&D tax credits to fund businesses. So if you're a U.S. company, you can, if you're a U.S. startup, you can get up to quarter million a year cash back. And then if you're a larger company that's not a startup, you can get lots of tax credits if you're profitable. If you're a Canadian company, you can get 64% of your product development costs as cash back. But the application process is cumbersome and time consuming. You got to like, wait till the end of the year till you incurred all your R&D expenses. You got to put together all the documentation for the work you did that meets this narrow criteria. You got to map it to financials and time tracking, apply for it. And then God forbid, if the government audits you, then you got to explain to them why you thought this work qualified. And what Boast does is we streamline and automate the R&D tax credit application process. So companies can get more money faster without the manual work and audit risk. Behind the scenes, what we're doing is we're integrating with a company's technical stack, like the project management systems, Jira, GitHub, et cetera, and their financial stack, like payroll, Gusto, bookkeeping, QuickBooks, to help identify qualifying projects, determine who spent how much time on those projects, map it to payroll, and just speed up the application process. That's, that's what we're doing under the hood. I see us as a fintech company because our vision here is to help innovative companies become successful. And one way we do that is through our product by getting them more money faster for less time and risk. But when we started the company as failed sort of founders and being part of failed startups before, we said, you know, if our mission is to help innovative companies become successful, yes, one way we do that is through our product. But founders and business owners need more than just R&D incentives. They need like fundraising, they need capital strategy, they need growth marketing, sales, scaling, et cetera, et cetera. So we said, why not we bring our, put together a community of these people so they can learn from each other. And then it furthers our mission, right? When you start a company, it all has to start with our mission. And, and the first thing we wrote on the wall when we started Boast AI is help innovative companies become successful. And our vision was get you more money faster with less time and risk. But to further that mission, we started TractionConf with our partners at Launch Academy. And now TractionConf today has turned into a community of over 60,000 people across the world, mostly US, Canada. And we do two webinars a week. You've spoken there a bunch. We do dinners every other month, which has stopped because of COVID. And we do an annual conference, which we used to do in SF. We moved it to Vancouver because Vancouver is beautiful and all the speakers that come stick around. 
And over the years, we've had like CEOs of Twilio, Cloudflare, SendGrid, all the major Silicon Valley tech companies you can think of. And, and the beauty of this is because running a community and conference is not our business model, our business model is, is already tax credit, all the profits that the conference makes gets donated to a nonprofit. That's fascinating. I actually never knew that. And that, that, that's really honorable. I, I think I, I do want to talk about traction um, and, and talk about the genius of, of building a community and then you know, serving your audience even more. But going back to Boast real quick. So if people are curious, okay, let's say they're in the US right now. I mean, you know, how much are we talking? How much can they get in R&D tax credits? Are there any caveats? Like, you know, do they need to be profitable? Like, how does it all work? Yeah, definitely. So telling you about the U.S. R&D tax credit, it's, you know, globally over 300 plus billion is given in R&D incentives. All the major countries, UK, Australia, France, New Zealand, Ireland, Canada, and the U.S. offer R&D tax credits. The U.S. R&D tax credit program, I would say, is the worst program. It's just, it's just too much red tape in there. So one of the things is the way you can get the R&D credits is you have to meet one of two criteria. One, you're profitable. If you're profitable and taxable, the R&D tax credits you get can offset your income taxes right away. If you're not profitable, but if you're a startup that has less than 5 million in revenues, gross receipts in the tax year, and less than five years of gross receipts from the tax year. So that means like 2020, 19, 18, 17, 16, in 2015, you didn't have any revenue. Then you can use the R&D credit to offset payroll taxes. And when you use the R&D credit to offset payroll taxes, you get a refund from the IRS. And the way it works is companies are required to pay 6.2% of each employee's salary as payroll tax, social security tax. And so the federal R&D tax credit is about 10%, more or less is what it works out. It's a complicated math I don't want to get into, but like, let's say it it works out to 10%. That 10% you get on your R&D labor can be used to offset payroll taxes for your entire company and then you get a refund. So for example, let's say you had two and a half million in R&D spend per year, and 10% of that is quarter million. And then let's say your company's overall payroll is 4 million odd. So 6.2% of 4 million is 250, 240 and some change. So that 250K goes to wipe out the payroll taxes you're paying, and, and you get that as a refund. So it's meaningful money coming in your bank account that the issue there is it takes, like, you know, you have to incur a year of R&D expenses, then you're going to apply, and then it takes multiple quarters to, to get that money. Canada, on the, on the other hand, similar, you still have to incur a year of expenses, but then when you apply for it, within three to four months, you get back 64% of your qualified R&D spend from the, from the Canadian government as a check. So less red tape and more money. The criteria... <laughs> criteria for both, and it's funny, globally, the R&D tax credits have been around since the 80s. And the, the technical qualifying criteria is very similar for most countries, just the financial criteria changes, like US is 10%, and US you can claim hosting costs, in Canada you can't. But other than that, the technical criteria is the same. The first one is you're, you're developing new technology or improving existing technology, products, materials for sale or whatever. The second one, which is a key one, is during your development efforts, you were faced with uncertainties that you couldn't resolve with publicly available information. And the third criteria is uh, because you couldn't resolve these uncertainties with publicly available information, you came up, you worked through a process of experimentation to get to the end outcome. You, you iterated, you, you figured out a hypothesis, you tested it, you got to the end outcome. 
And in the U.S., they have a last fourth criteria as it should be in the field of science or uh, technology or uh, life sciences or whatever. And, and that is the previous three just justifies the fourth anyway. But yeah, so that's, that's the sort of technical red tape around it. So it's, as you can see, it's complex and the government wants you to have an R&D study and a way to justify that the expenses you claimed meet that criteria. And, you know, a CTO needs to focus on building their technology and not prepare all these documentation and whatnot, because it's, it's a significant time spend, especially if you're doing it at your end, you got to look back and say, oh, what were the projects I worked on that met this criteria, right? And it's a pain and, and it's also an opportunity cost. You focus on doing this, how much time it's going to take to like figure out the projects, do time tracking and whatnot. So we, we take that red tape away. Traditionally, accounting firms do it, big four do it, and accountants are accountants. They don't know technology. So they come and they chew up like hours and hours of a company's CTO's time. Cool. I, I love this. I mean, and, and kind of what you're alluding to, too, it's, it sounds like, at least on my end, it sounds like a pain in the ass to have to do it all yourself. And it just sounds like a huge time suck. So, you know, you guys ultimately, it sounds like the benefit is that you guys will have a simple plug and play solution and you save a ton of time for people and you help them get money and then you support them in other ways with the conference and things like that. Correct? Exactly. Our tagline is fuel your growth. We fuel your growth with the government money because it's cheap and, and you don't have to give up equity. And then we fuel your growth through our community and, and traction. And you've been there and you've seen the connections and, and, and everything we do. Our, our goal is to help innovative companies become successful. And so tying to that vision, we'll continue to build more products that help companies get more money faster for less time and risk. So one thing we're launching is we're launching a large fund. So right now, what happens is it takes you, like you have to incur a year of R&D expenses, then you have to apply for it, then you get the money. We're launching a massive fund to say, hey, use Boast to track and manage your R&D tax credits. And rather than wait for your year to get over and another few months to get it back from the government, for each month or quarter you incur in R&D expenses, we'll just front load you the money. So like MRR financing, it would be like incurred R&D financing. Our vision here is your R&D is an asset, but companies traditionally, they don't know how to tie that R&D or that innovation to financial value. And so by integrating with the tech stack and the financial stack, we're able to do that and say, hey, your R&D is an asset. You should trade it like one. For each month you incur in R&D, you should be able to, like MRR financing, get R&D, get your R&D uh, financed, basically. And then the more money you get, it's non-equity injection into your business. You can invest it into more R&D, get more R&D tax credits and whatnot. So a lot of the products we'll launch is tied to that mission around helping you get more money faster for less time and risk. I love it. And, and just so people are, are, that are curious and they're wondering like, well, you know, what's Lloyd's upside? Like, how do you guys make money? Yeah, definitely. So we make money is we take a percentage of what we bring them back. We win when they win. We're collecting all this data. And based on this data, we're unlocking value. And when you realize the value, we take money. We take a percentage of it, basically. 
Got it. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Cool. So let's talk about traction because I think the building a community is a lot more enticing than saying, Hey, you know, come buy my stuff or come to my booth at a conference, right? It's you are bringing people to this amazing event. Like I I've been to Vancouver, right? It's, you know, we're going off the gondola, you know, we're, we're, we're hanging out with a bunch of, you know, cool CEOs and then we're all just kind of stuck there, but we want to be stuck there. Right. And you, so you've created this experience for people and it's, it's, you know, back then it was like a, it's like a two day thing, right? It's a, or was it a three day thing? Yeah. So it's a two day thing. I'll, I'll tell you the whole story of how it came together because this is very interesting, right? So like when you look at growth and marketing as a whole, and you know, you're the genius, you're the godfather of, of growth and marketing here. There's a bajillion channels you can focus on. Yep. And yeah, if you have lots of funding, you can go and do that. But as a bootstrap company, we're bootstrap. I'm I not taken external money, not even a penny. The last time I did this podcast with you was when I was at Speakeasy. I was in the founding team there, early team there, and I was running product and growth. And we had raised $6 million on an idea. And it was funded by Bessemer and Salesforce and Twilio, and the company failed, right? And the key learning I've had working at other startups is if you don't have one kind of customer, like nail on your ideal customer profile, getting one kind of value over and over again, coming through one or two channels, then it's going to be very, very hard for you to build a sustainable business. Once you have that model, like one kind of customer getting one kind of value over and over again, coming through one or two channels, then you can put fuel on the fire, test out other channels and whatnot. And I think that's where a lot of the companies fail is like, they don't know when to invest in growth. A lot of the mistakes we made on Speakeasy where we were dumping money on ads, 20, 30,000 a month, spending all kinds of things before nailing down the ICP, before nailing down the channel and whatnot. So the key learning was when we bootstrapped the company, we wrote this mission on the wall, help innovative companies become successful, right? And if that's the case, then you've identified your ICP already. And then we're like, okay, how can we make them become successful? Yes, one way is our product but let's go and talk to these people to identify what else do they need. And this was like 2013, 14. And they were like, oh, we need like access to funding. We need to know how to grow. We need team hiring, all of this stuff. So we started these pizza nights and we, we would do these pizza nights uh, wherever we, uh, we had team members uh, in those cities. And those pizza nights sort of started out with like 10, 20, 30 people showing up. And eventually it was like 100 people. We'd bring speakers, we'd done workshops. And just very informal sort of founder to founder, learning from each other and a speaker sparking the conversation. Then we said, let's do a conference, right? It started getting, the volume started getting good. And we just cold emailed a lot of the speakers and, you know, a lot of people kept saying no. And then as soon as we got one person interested, we reached out to all the other speakers and they said, yeah, I'm coming too. And that's how we put together the first conference. It was packed. It was sold out. And, and that's how it transformed. And then our story, the first conference we did was not called Traction. It was called Cloud Factory. And like Cloud Factory is not an evergreen name. And like we had a third partner in that conference. And there was a bit of a fallout in that, like the money just evaporated and we didn't know where it went and, and all of this stuff. And, and the key learning there was we partnered with somebody that we didn't know really well. And he was in it for the financial gain. He disappeared with the, like almost a quarter million bucks wow. and launched another conference and, and basically locked me out out of our Twitter, our social accounts and e-blasted the whole list saying this conference is turning into something else. 
And he used that money to pay some high value speakers. But here's the one thing, the second, the second learning. People may rob you. People may do the same thing. But passion is always going to trump anyone who treats things like a transaction. And you know it, right? It's like why, why you do things the way you do. If you treat relationships with passion versus like a transaction, you'll build an evergreen business. And that's, that's the second thing that's been our philosophy is like, you know, focus on building connection and hire people and work with people with passion versus like treating it like a transaction. So long story short, he did that. Uh, there was a bit of a lawsuit and he ended up doing the conference and then never did another conference again. And then we, after that incident, we rebranded to Traction. We partnered with Launch Academy out of Vancouver, which is a nonprofit really good guys. We aligned with them and, and we, we said, let's split the task here. We'll, we'll do the content and the speakers and you manage the logistics and let's come together and this event can go to fund your organization. And it's now been like six years and it's been a great relationship and uh, supporting that mission. And like now we're this year alone, we've done, I think over a hundred webinars or on pace to do like a hundred webinars. And, yeah. It's nuts, right? Two, two a week. And the dinners have stopped, but like generally we do dinners every other month in different cities, which is like founder to founder round tables where you learn from each other. We do like founder, funder, matchmaking sessions, and then the annual conference, which is broken down into one day of ICP, like not ICP, sorry, one, one day of role specific content, like CEO summit, which you've been to, it's on a mountain. So good. Boat, right. Which is like more informal. And there's a growth summit a sales summit and sorry, a growth summit and a product summit. And then the next day is all sort of 20 minute, 30 minute rapid fire sessions with CEOs of unicorns. So that's worked really well. And the thing is, because we're focused on giving, and I think that's the philosophy. If you treat people right and help them grow, your business will grow. And our philosophy has always been give without expecting anything in return. And that's why we built this community and never made a dime from it. But Honestly, man, Boast has been doubling revenue year over year. Right now is the first time we've like hired someone dedicated in marketing. In a way, we don't have a marketer. We don't do traditional marketing. We have four full stack salespeople who just reach out to people and, and they get leads and they've been hitting their quota and knocking out of the park because I genuinely feel this is the karma of the community. And, uh, you know, people, if you're contrived in that, oh, I'm doing it just to get leads, you're never going to build a community. It has to be a part of your DNA that my mission in life is to help innovative companies become successful. And my superpower is connecting people. And that's why, because, because we're not making money from the conference, we partner with so many organizations like Techstars in Toronto, Founder Institute, Startup Fest. We partner with Mars, which is one of the largest incubators. We just promote everyone's events. And if they're doing an event, we'll drive speakers there, we'll co-host things there. And, you know, if we amplify their event, they make money. We don't. And that's the whole thing is like to build community, you have to focus on driving value to your community. Yeah. How long? I mean, you know, I, I think it's amazing. And I think more people should be doing this. You know, A, it seems that community is a lot harder to build, right? There's a lot of effort that goes into it. But at the same time, to me, 
it actually seems easier long term because you know you're just connecting people and you know you're you're connecting people great people together you're breaking bread and that is long term you're building relationships for the long term versus you know hey i just want to you know pay for some ads get a transaction and then you're a customer all of a sudden right and so i guess my question for you would be for people that are interested in starting this community, you mentioned in the early days, hey, you were you started with pizza, you started with some round tables. How long did it take you to build it to a community that you were pretty satisfied with? Yeah, definitely. I think in the last few years, last two or three years, um, I think it took like three, good three, four years uh, to actually get it to a point where where I'm like happy and I think it only gets better. And I think one of the key things is, is this, don't focus on the tools, focus on the process focus on the outcome. Your outcome is building connections. Whatever you do manually in year one, year two can always be sort of automated or brought online. A lot of people say, oh, I want to build a community. Do I start with a Facebook group? Do I start with like a LinkedIn group? No. Like, you know, bring people together on the mode or medium that they want to engage with. So like, you know, there's a dozen Slack groups, there's a million uh, Facebook groups and whatnot right? We didn't do a Slack group or a Facebook group. We started with like an email list, that email list group. People come to like two events a week that we do. We get thousands of people signing up for our events. And, and when we do the in-person dinners, they sell out when we, when we do the, and by the way, the webinars and the in-person dinners are all free. And the only thing we charge for is the conference. And then the conference also sells out. So it's like, okay, people are getting a reason to engage with each other. I'd never explored the Slack group and whatnot because it's already there, right? Uh, the process is, can you create collisions so people can connect with each other? I think your mindset should be, what can I do on day one to just bring a handful of people together? And if those handful of people get value from it and say, yeah, I would invite four or five more people, then you give them the means to invite four or five people. The key thing with community is cadence. A lot of people say, I want to do a community. They put a Facebook group together it dies, right? Um, they put a Slack group together and there's no chatter happening. Just keep the cadence going. If you say you're going to do a webinar a week, do it every week, right? So in February, we know that we knew that no events are happening. My wife's a physician. She told me, she's like, you may as well plan for traction not happening. And we used to do one webinar a month. Like sometimes we do it, sometimes we're not. We made a deliberate decision to do one webinar a week. And we lined up all the content every week till like June, July. Then we were getting a lot of requests. We moved it to two a week. I just said to the team, if we're doing two a week, it has to be two a week. We can't take a break. And now our lineup is scheduled through end of April. So people are engaged. And this year alone, we've added 20,000 people, subscribers, right? So that's, that's how I, I look at it is like, okay, let's say you're a bootstrap founder. You have no money and you've decided that I want to build community. Community is just one channel. You need to have passion for connecting people and if you don't have the passion for connecting people, don't do it. If somebody on your founding team doesn't ha is not like a serial connector, his superpower, his or her superpower is not connecting people and they're just seeing it, oh, if we build community somewhere down the road, we're going to make some money from them, don't do it, right? There's a million other channels that are easier to dominate than building community because it's going to be painful. And if you do things that are not passionate, that you're not passionate about, it's just going to become a, a chore, right? Yep. So, so don't do that. So for us, it was like, we're bootstrapped. Let's pick two channels. The, the community thing came naturally because we were founders and we were just doing these dinners and round tables with pizza and whatnot. And that transformed into a community where people would get value. We'd ask them to invite more people. And then, of course, you need to make money. So you need another channel. And so our primary channel was sales and like just doing full stack outreach, like basically 
your <laughs> similar to your nine word email that you suggested <laughs> on the traction webinars. Like we reach out to people. And the thing is the power of community people ignore the community has done so much for us. Like the connections I've made, like basically I can email anyone with authority and they'll speak. Like I'll email somebody, some big name speaker and say, Hey, can you come speak? Just cold email. And they're like, yeah, we've heard of traction. We're going to come speak. Right. It helped. It's helped us make so many connections to the audience we sell to. All right. And, and without being salesy, like partner with incubators, accelerators and whatnot, it's, it's those fruits of those labor of that labor over the years is starting to pay off. Like you get the brand rub of the community, right? Like when you have nothing, what do you need? You need, you need sales, but you also need to like amplify your message. And the way to do that is align with, you know, create a brand by aligning with people with a bigger brand than you. Yeah. And I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, it, it takes a lot of work, which is why most people aren't willing to do it. But once you get it going, it's such an unfair advantage. And again, it lasts for the long term. What I found is, you know, there's a lot of you know founders or marketers that listen to this. They want the latest hacks and all that. But I've just found for me personally, that the things that are long term that are that take lots of time to manifest, those things work out a lot better than any other hacks or, you know, new tactics or strategies that are popping up all the time, right? Um, it's, it stands the test of time. So I guess my question for you, Lloyd, then is how, you know, the people that are wondering, you mentioned Facebook groups and things like that, you know, what are you using to, or if someone's looking to get started with community, how should they manage everything? Are they just using like Eventbrite to like add people to a list and then email them? Like, what are they doing exactly? Yeah. So, I mean, I can share essentially what we did. I think the first step is identifying your ideal customer profile, right? I started with there because I ultimately want to build a business, right? And identify that ideal customer profile, like where they eat, breathe, drink, sleep. What are the pain points? What are the challenges? What mediums they hang out on? Like just, just get that nailed down because the way to build a successful business is selling one thing to one person that's doing, that's, that's getting value from your product over and over again, coming through one or two cha channels. But once you have that nailed down, and you have that buyer persona or that ICP, ideal customer profile nailed down, then you know what modes and mediums they hang out on, where, where they play, who are the influencers and all of that. Then you can, you can sort of map their, do like an influencer map, like essentially like your ICP in the center and spokes of like, okay, they're influenced by other VCs or they're influenced by other founders or they're influenced by lawyers or whatever, right? And, and then you can figure out what's the next step here once you understand the problem set right so let's say you know let's we can we can pick an industry if you want to dive into it but let's say marketers similar to what like you're doing is just start something like plan let, let's say you've nailed down your icp now you say six months from now i want to have a hundred people in my community so work backwards from it and then say let's say you pick events as a medium so I'm going to do one event a week and just start inviting people in my network, getting them to invite people and just manage it in an email list, whether it's SendGrid or MailChimp or Eventbrite or whatever, and start inviting them and see how many people uh, engage. Now you've, you've like mentally planned that, okay, in six months, I want to get to a hundred community of a hundred or 500 or a thousand. What are the actions I need to take on day one and plan that first event, right? And get people engaged, whether it's online, offline, whatever. And then if they get value from it, get feedback right away and get them to invite more and more people and then schedule the next one 
right away. Like when they come, when, when they finish that event, they should be able to come to the next one, next one. I'm just giving you like an event strategy to community here. You can apply the same strategy, whether it's a Facebook group or a Slack group is like, you know, you start a Facebook group and I like, uh, you, you know, Josh Vector, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he started that Facebook group a while and then, Bamf. Uh, yeah, Banff. And, and in its peak, it was really good because people were not posting external links. But the whole idea of that group was post valuable content that people can learn from. I think it's, it's died down now. And that's owned by somebody else now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like in its peak, because Josh had the passion for it, right? He was passionate about it. When somebody else came in and like, you know, if, if uh, I, I think like if, if it turns into a transaction, then, then people lose interest or like if the, if the leader is not, uh, has moved on kind of thing. But that was an example of a great Facebook community that started because everyone was encouraged to share learnings. And what I think he did really well was don't share external links, write tactics and strategies in long form and share it on the channel. And every day I'd find people just sharing like content, how to do this, how to do that, like sharing advice with each other. And there was a cadence of that. Like, I think a, a simple way to look at it is Nir Eyal has a really good book called Hooked, right? And that hooked model can be applied to communities, products, everything else. Is like you have an external trigger, people get a variable reward, and they get the, some gratification, and then they have the next hook to come back again, right? And they keep completing that circle over and over again. It's a great book. I, I think it's not specifically focused on communities, but if you read that book, Hooked, you can apply that model to community. So whether you do an event strategy or whether you do it on Facebook or Slack or whatever, there has to be conversations happening with cadence and people should be getting value with cadence. And the cadence just means that it forces people to keep engaging over and over. I love it. Yeah. And by the way, Nir has been on this podcast before. So if you guys want to check it out, just type in Nir Ayal leveling up and you should be able to find it. Uh, he does talk about the, the book pretty extensively. So Lloyd, I mean, I could just go on, on and on about community, but I, I think this is just, if we haven't driven the point home, community to me is a unfair advantage when it comes to customer acquisition, not just customer acquisition, just building long-term relationships. So that's one thing. But Lloyd, what is, I got two questions for you. A, what is the one must-read book everyone needs to check out? That's the first question. So go for that one. Awesome. So you know what? I'll tell you one thing. I don't read a lot. I'm, I'm an executioner kind of person, and I like to uh, retain information. I find when I read stuff, read books specifically, I don't apply it right away. So when it comes to business books and whatnot, I read it. I, I reference things as I need stuff. So I read a lot of blogs. Like I, I read your stuff at the marketing school, your podcast, lots of great content on growth. Of course, through traction, I'm interviewing a lot of folks based on, and the funny thing is like, I'm building a business, I bootstrap the company and whatnot. I'm, I'm bringing in speakers that also add value to me. So I, I do that twice a week. And then I read all the content from Saster. I, I think that's really great. Near Eyal's book is phenomenal. I couldn't recommend it high enough, right? Because people just see it as, oh, how to get people hooked to your product. But really, that applies to everything, relationships. And I'm not saying game things. If you have the passion for something and want to improve your relationship, I think that hooked model can be applied to everything, personal, professional, community, and <laughs> whatnot. So I think that's a great book. And another one I'm actually reading right now is Blitzscaling. And that uh, one's Reed Hoffman? Reed Hoffman and Chris Yeh. Yeah, that's a good one. 
Nice. Okay. Well, tell us, here's the bonus then. What's the most compelling thing that you've read, watched, or listened to recently? So recently, uh, one, your webinar, and I'm not just pumping uh, your stock here, but- I thank you. I paid you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did a (laughs) webinar for traction, and it was super tactical, man. And you know, like when you do this, like A, you know, here's how you get to an outcome, A, B, C, D, E. This is how you get there. And your webinar had all the steps to drive uh, growth, right? So that was, that was a great one. We did one with Dennis Yu as well from Blitzmetrics. That was a good one. And I did one webinar last week with Rippling's CMO, Matt Epstein. Mm. Matt helped Rippling and uh, Zenefits go from zero to unicorn. And, and he got them to 10 million ARR on a shoestring budget, like almost just like two people and an agency. Nice. And he walked through step-by-step step how they did it. And that was super tactical. So if you go to youtube.com, Google search Traction Conf, you'll find all these recent webinars. So I think those three were, were perfect, uh, especially yours and this one with Matt Epstein are like top of mind. Actually, I listened to these two a number of times. Wow. Okay. I'm actually looking for it right now. So I'm going to add it myself. So Matt Epstein traction, I'm going to find that one, but Lloyd, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah. The, the best way to find me online is email me Lloyd double L O Y E D. There's an E in my name at boast.ai. Add me on LinkedIn, Lloyd Lobo. And yeah, those are the two modes. I mean, I'm, I'm not super engaged on Twitter and whatnot. I'm just there for the motions on LinkedIn, I'm engaged. I'll respond on email. I'll respond. All right, Lloyd, thanks so much for doing this. Awesome. Thank you so much. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.